So happily compared to where we were a couple of years ago, it seems like we continue on a steady pace towards moving out of the pandemic. And as you may know, many dioceses across the country are opening up even further. Precious blood is being offered here in the Archdiocese. That's now possible. I'm sure it's just a matter of time before it comes here to St. Joe's. But the fact of the matter is a pandemic is still remaining. And it's a big one. It's a serious one. And it's almost been with us so long that when it gets attention, it can surprise us. And masks don't help it. Social distancing doesn't help it. In fact, both of those things only make it worse. It's a pandemic that was with us long before COVID. It's swirling around us now. And from all signs, it's going to continue well into the future if we don't do something about it. And the pandemic is loneliness. That may seem hard to believe in a pretty full church today, lots of families together, people, even if they're on their own, surrounded by others. But you might know that it is a pandemic. Lots of stories have been written about it. Books have been written about it. It seems that our culture, our society, is one of the most alone societies that we've had, maybe even since our founding. And lots of people say reasons for why that might be. They talk about social media. They talk about we've learned to work from home, so even the workplace we're not socializing in. Maybe lots of reasons. But as should always be the case, if our faith means anything, if God becoming one of us, if the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is worth anything, it ought to be able to speak to whatever it is in our humanity that we struggle with. And so I'd like to suggest that just in our readings today, which not overtly deal with loneliness perhaps, they have a powerful antidote for a way of trying to get at this pandemic that has us in its grip. You have Jeremiah and you have Jesus. Well, what separates them? Everything separates them in some sense. You have Jeremiah, and what's he struggling with? He's struggling with the fact that seemingly he's living his faith. He's saying everything God has told him to say, and yet all he's hearing is voices that could lead him to feel very isolated and alone. But if you go on, what does he say at the end of the reading? He says, yes, I'm, I'm scorned, I'm abandoned by everyone, but Lord, I know you're going to take care of me. I know you're going to take care of my enemies. If I just wait it out, things are going to get better. Now, in his world, in his time, he really meant, you're going to take care of my enemies. He didn't mean that somehow I'd have peacefulness of heart. Maybe he would get that too. But if God is on your side, you know it. Because you prosper, you're doing well, your enemies ain't doing so well. You can look at it. It's there on the bottom line. You measure it in your family. You measure it in your well-being and your wealth. And it's not that there's a different God in the Old Testament, right? Never believe that one. Oh, God of the Old Testament. Then he woke up one day and said, oh, it's the year zero. I should be loving. That's not how it works. But we change. We change in our ability to understand who God is. And what allows us to change perhaps more than anything else is, yes, what gets us to the gospel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit. That really is a game changer. Because what you hear Jesus saying in the gospel, on the one hand, could sound a lot like Jeremiah. 
He's saying, yeah, there are things that can cause worry. There are things. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he doesn't pull any punches there. He says, there are things to worry about. And he doesn't say, if you listen to me, he doesn't say there won't be things that could be a source of worry. He says, look, look at sparrows, right? They're not worth anything, just a coin. Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing it. Now stop and think about that for a minute. If a sparrow falls to the ground, it ain't doing so well. That is not the natural place for sparrows. So Jesus doesn't say, your heavenly Father will guarantee that sparrows never fall to the ground. Your heavenly Father guarantees that you will never have a source of loss or sadness. But what does he say? He says, a sparrow never falls to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing it. Heavenly Father knows everything. He knows when a little sparrow falls, and so he definitely knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He remembers when they were black, and he still loves them even now. It's the knowledge of the Father that makes a difference. And if you're like me, you can hear that. Here I am, a Christian. I'm a big fan of Jesus. 2,000 years of the life, death, resurrection, and sending of the Holy Spirit we have behind us. And yet a lot of times I pray like Jeremiah. I've been baptized like a Christian, but I pray like Jeremiah. Lord, if you're going to make a difference for me, then take care of my problems and take care of my enemies while you're at it. And that's how I'll know. And yes, you can tell me that God loves me. You can tell me that Jesus loves me. He died for my sins. But with brutal honesty, can I say that makes a difference when I see the metaphorical sparrow that's dropped to the ground? And you tell me, well, God, God knows me. He, he knows me from the very beginning. Jeremiah knew that he was known from before he was formed in his mother's womb. That line comes from Jeremiah. And yet sometimes, if you're like me, the fact that God knows us and loves us is a kind of consolation prize. Oh, I really wish this thing could have happened. It didn't. But okay, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Never forget that Jesus loves you. And yet that's everything. It's transformative. And so I think what can be helpful, as is so often the case in the Christian spiritual life, to start with our humanity and say, what difference does it make that the people in my life remember me, that they know me? That usually doesn't mean, sometimes it does, but it usually doesn't mean that they have this superpower to change everything we suffer from, to see to it that our sparrows never fall, and when they do, they just get up and fly again. And yet I think all of us would say, it matters immensely that we are known, that we are remembered, that we are loved, in a beautiful marriage, no spouse would ever say, well, I really wish you could have helped me, but yeah, okay, you love me, I guess, thanks. No parent would ever say that lovingly to a child. You know, I wish you got into Harvard, but hey, I love you, it's all right. And yet sometimes, even though we don't say it like that, we have beautiful prayers, we have wonderful hymns, but sometimes, if you're like me, we can feel a little like that with God. And so what do we do, right? What do we do? Well, again, 
start with the humanity that they lived before they ever knew Jesus was going to rise from the dead or send the Holy Spirit. What did they have? What they had was a community. They weren't just sitting there alone. Prophets can be very lonely people. They don't usually have disciples following them. Jesus had that, and that means his followers had that. Before they ever received the Holy, the Holy Spirit, their hearts were prepared because they had a holy community. And so sometimes when we say, gosh, we're so alone, our society is plagued by loneliness, why isn't it like the old days? Where people got together, they had community, neighborhoods counted, and almost invariably, church gets thrown in there, whether they're Catholic or not. Remember the church, people would gather there. You'd celebrate a wedding, not by dropping half a million dollars, in a hall, in a hotel, you'd gather in the church basement. Remember when people would get together, the church was a place where we gathered. Well, did it ever occur to us that faith had something to do with that? But don't put the cart before the horse. The faith and the community are inextricably wound together. And so if they gathered because it was a sense of community, because when someone moved into the neighborhood or came over from the old country and they'd be welcomed, when young families gave birth to their first child and lots of other families, old-timers, came around to support them and share wisdom. When somebody died, the grieving were not left alone. And they weren't just brought meals during the week before the funeral, but someone kept checking in. Yes, an atheist could say, well, that's just good human community. But don't worry about what atheists say. I would say that's what it looks like to be transformed by faith. And when we can be transformed in that human way, then when we come to celebrate the sacraments and we pray and we gather, our hearts are open and receptive. And we can say, this is what it looks like to be remembered by God. This is what it looks like to know that when my sparrow falls, God has loved it before, during, and after that moment. This is what it looks like to say it's transformative to be known and to be loved. So maybe just a little spiritual exercise to think of somebody this week in our lives who maybe is in the grip of that pandemic. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that they're absolutely debilitated by it. But maybe you know there's some loneliness in their heart or on their minds. Let them know that you're thinking of them. Let them know that you're remembering them. But before you send the text or make the call or knock on their door or look in their eyeballs, don't Zoom, unless you have to. Just say a little prayer for yourself. Lord, as I remember, as I know this friend, this person, maybe just this colleague, I want this to be a manifestation of the love you've had for them since before they were formed in their mother's womb and for all eternity. And I promise you it makes a difference. Don't be like me. Don't be a card-carrying, baptized Christian who still lives in Jeremiah's world.